0: Welcome to the Christ Church Conway Podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of Scripture and Theology. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway Podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and Theology you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verses 13 through 34, which is a little bit of a longer reading, so we'll have to kind of buckle down and, and pay attention and, and, and work for a little bit to listen to reading, because that can be hard to do. Uh, but, but all of these stories I, I want us to take together, and we'll talk about why in just a minute. So first, let's read God's Word together. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, When they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you, neither, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Most gracious Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your holy and inspired word and that you would fill my mouth with your words by your spirit that what is preached may be preached in power, that what is heard may be heard and comfort. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week, we met the Sanhedrin through this subcommittee who came challenging Jesus and seeking to catch him in a shrewd question about his authority, which he, of course, deftly answered, announcing both his own authority and as the Son of God, or his own authority as the Son of God, and what exactly it was that God was going to do to these tenants who had been called to work the temple, but now sought to have it for themselves. And so in today's passage, kind of coming right on the heels of that, we're going to see these challenges continue as various parties come seeking to undermine and ultimately destroy Jesus. They, they line up trying their hand at tricking him and at catching him at something worthy of death. And in this section, Jesus faces three different challenges and each time he answers with just impeccable wisdom. And is not swayed by anything that they say? So first we see the challenge of faith and politics, through which we learn that Caesar is not a threat to Jesus and his kingdom. Then we're going to see a challenge of of what I'm calling gotcha theology, through which we learn that, that the brokenness of the present world doesn't undermine Jesus and his kingdom. And then third, we'll see the the, the challenge of an honest question. This third guy, I don't think, was actually trying to trick Jesus. I think it was an honest question. But we learn even through this challenge that Jesus and his kingdom are in perfect accord with the word of God. And these three challenges are important for us to kind of think through. and, And I think when we bring them all together, we begin to see something about Christ and his kingdom that's really important for us to see. Because to be sure, each of these could be, could be its own sermon. I mean, th- there is something in me. I'm not going to lie. There's this, this flesh in me that wants nothing more on, on this Sunday when the elections have started to just dive in to this faith in politics and just let loose. But in God's providence, like 11 months ago, I prayed through kind of what are we going to preach for the year? And, and I've, I've not broken from that. And I don't feel like my flesh is a good reason to do that this morning. The other reason that I want us to consider these things together, besides just that that I have felt compelled to do that, is that sometimes we see passages like this and we're like, oh, there's enough there for a sermon, enough there for a sermon. And so we kind of break stuff up and we get used to breaking these passages up, usually pretty close to the headings in our Bible. But sometimes when we kind of repackage stuff, it starts to kind of be seen in a new light, be seen from a little bit different angle. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to repackage these three challenge stories together, and we're going to begin to see something a little bit different as we put them all together. What we're going to begin to see is is that, that we should have every confidence in the kingdom of God because it's built on the word of God. And and that no Caesar is ever going to be a threat to a kingdom built on the Word of God. And no brokenness found in this world is ever going to undermine a kingdom built on the Word of God. So in order to kind of get through this passage and and all that's here, I'm going to have to be pretty abbreviated with each story. There's much more that could be said. I'm pretty sure when I said abbreviated, um, my wife just laughed. But I'm going to try to be abbreviated with each story. So here's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to offer just kind of a few thoughts on the structure of the story. And, and I'm giving you all this so that you can kind of track with me, hopefully, and, 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 and we don't get lost together. So I'm going to offer a few thoughts on, on the challenge of each story and then give kind of a summary of, like, here's what that story means. And then I'm going to offer a handful of kind of points of application from each story as we go through. And then at the end, we'll tie all of these things together. So first, let's just jump into Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Challenge number one, faith and politics, where we learn that Caesar is not a challenge to the kingdom of God. And so in the first couple of verses, we see right off the bat in verses 13 through 15 that this is a hypocritical challenge of faith and politics. Okay. Now, why do we say that? Well, listen to how these guys come. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances but truly teach the way of God. Here's the deal. If anyone comes up to you blowing that kind of smoke up your kilt, something is coming. Like undoubtedly, something is coming when you've been challenged your whole life as Jesus was in his ministry, when people are out to kill you as they were with Jesus, when you've just dumped the tables in the temple and told the Sanhedrin that that they have nothing to say to you and that they're about to be undone by God, and then someone from that party shows up and is like, oh, you are unswayed. Truly, like, Jesus is on to them. And in verse 15, it, it tells us flat out, knowing their hypocrisy. See, they didn't think any of this. This is the pretense to a challenge. That, that's what's going on here. And the, the challenge that they throw at Jesus is this, this challenge of, of how do we process our faith and our politics, Jesus. Is it right for us? Is it lawful? Is it in line with God's word? Is it in line with the Torah for us to pay taxes to Caesar? That's the question they pose. Now, when we think historically about this, it may be like a fair question. Like, like I can see how, how someone, you know, as, as a person who's, who's given to scrupulousness, I can see how someone would get there. Because when Jesus says, in, in the next verses, where we see the reality of this challenge, when Jesus says, bring out a denarius and let me look at it, what's the image and the inscription on it? Well, we know, like, historically, it would have been a picture of the Caesar and, and then an inscription that where he was referred to as the divine son of Augustus, right? And then on the back, there was, there was similarly what would have been to the, the Jews very offensive language, right? Remember where this whole passage ends with the quoting of the Shema in, in the third story. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But now we've got this money that we're carrying around that has a picture of someone that's not the Lord, and, and says son of God on it, right? So that's the reality of the challenge. So, so on one hand, you can understand like, why they might get there, why some people's conscience might actually be burdened by this. But Jesus sees through their hypocrisy because he understands that, that if, you're, if, if you've got a problem with this money, that has a dude's picture on it called son of God. If you've got a problem with this money, your problem should start long before paying taxes with it. And so Jesus says, bring me a denarius and let me look. And they have them. Right? See, Jesus has them right there. If the money is a problem, if paying taxes with this money is a problem because it has Caesar's name on it, if somehow that's doing you know, obeisance to Caesar, then then the reality is participating in this system at all is a problem. But they're willing to do that because they need the money. They need to be able to buy bread, for instance. So so Jesus just sees straight through what they're doing. He sees that they're they're trying to put put him to the test. And then he answers this challenge. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. In other words, Jesus essentially says, hey guys, I am not worried about it. It's got his picture on it. Give it back to him. It's okay. You've missed the point. Now, so so from this, what we see is that, that Jesus and his kingdom are not challenged by the presence or even the thriving of any earthly kingdom. Think about that. Jesus and his kingdom are not challenged by by the presence or even the thriving of Caesar. Caesar standing in for any earthly power. He's not. And and we need to to remember this because we forget it. Now now we we need to ask the question, here, here come the points of application for this section. Why isn't Jesus, why isn't his kingdom threatened? By any earthly power well first of all jesus understands the legitimacy of earthly kingdoms in the present world he he understands that that's part of what's going on right now and and that that at some level those kingdoms are needed because that's who he has given the power of the sword to they have a role to play so so he also understands the necessity and purpose of kingdoms in this present earthly world and so he's not threatened by them. And he knows his kingdom isn't threatened by them. Because he also knows the limits of, of the, the power of these kingdoms in this present world. He, he knows what they're actually capable of. And he knows what they're not actually capable of. And he knows they're not actually capable of undoing him or undoing his people. And so when they come with this challenge, should we pay taxes? Jesus is kind of like, I don't care whose money is on it or whose face is on the money. Great. Give it to them. You're missing the point is what he's saying. You're missing the point. My kingdom isn't threatened by that. And so I don't have to get all wrapped up in it. And so this gives us the freedom to have the same understanding of earthly kingdoms in the present world rather than seeing them as a threat to the kingdom of God. We need to really meditate on that for a minute. There's never been a kingdom in this world, in the history of this world, nor will there ever be a kingdom in the history of this world that's an actual threat to Jesus and his kingdom. Babylon wasn't. Assyria wasn't. Egypt wasn't. There never has been, nor ever will be, a kingdom, a nation, a ruler, anything that is an actual threat to Jesus and his kingdom. We get to live with that freedom. We get to live knowing that that when we participate in the kingdom of this world, we're not participating in it for the security of the kingdom of God. We're participating in it for the flourishing of neighbors. That's it. God's kingdom is secured by Jesus, and he's not threatened by Caesar. Challenge number two, Mark uh, 18 through 27, gotcha theology. And and what we learn here is that brokenness doesn't undermine the kingdom. It doesn't undermine Jesus, and it doesn't undermine the kingdom. So these Sadducees come, and it tells us uh, the Sadducees came, and who say there's no resurrection, and they ask him a question. And then they, 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 they point to the Liverite law and, and, and to the, the reality that, that is an Old Testament rule that, that if, if you're married or, or if your brother is married and he dies without children, then, then you take in his wife and have children by her to carry on his name, right? That was an Old Testament law. If that weirds you out and you need to talk about it, we can talk after church. That's as far as we're going into it right now. But so, so the Sadducees wanting to like trick Jesus, they bring this law to him. And then they come up with this kind of insane situation, right? They, they, they bring this law, and this is the form of kind of gotcha theology. This is the form they always take, right? It's this hypothetical situation that, that like kind of pokes holes and, and, and reveals the weaknesses of our theology or, or of our development of thought. And here's the deal. You can know whether it's someone from a different Christian tradition that doesn't like Presbyterians, or whether it's a non-believer that doesn't like Christians. and is, If somebody comes with this kind of pretentious gotcha question, it's, it's probably not that you're wrong. It's kind of like, can God make a rock so big he can't move it, right? It's kind of like this, they've probably just created some kind of logical conundrum that doesn't actually prove anything. And that's exactly what happens here. There were seven brothers. I mean, Jesus right there, you know, he's just like, (laughs) okay, I see where you're going. They tell the whole story. Every brother dies without kids. And then Jesus doesn't even really, well, at first, he doesn't address what they said. He just says, is this not the reason you are wrong?" Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. See, they think they've come up with this, this situation based on life in a broken world, where, where all of a sudden now we've got this woman married to seven different guys without, you know, like they think they've come up with this situation that's based on the brokenness of the world that is somehow going to undermine Jesus and his kingdom and the resurrection that comes with it. They think somehow the brokenness of this world can undermine the kingdom of God as Jesus is presenting it. But it can't. G- Jesus goes on and, and he explains, look, that's how things are different in heaven. They, they work different. People aren't given in marriage. They're like angels. Again, we can talk later if we want to dive into what that means. Uh, and as for the dead being raised, then notice what he does. He's like, oh, by the way, now let's talk about your theology that actually is jacked up. I answered your question. That's not how heaven works. Sorry. But you don't believe in a resurrection. Have you not read? And then he just throws the Torah back at him. Have you not read in the same book that you just threw at me, that that when Moses, who came, just so we're all clear, a long time after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, When Moses was standing at the bush, God said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if he can at that point say, I am still their God, that means in some way they still live. Checkmate. On your anti-resurrection views. So, so... That he comes with this challenge, or they come with this challenge to trying to say that, that the brokenness is somehow going to undermine the kingdom, it's going to undermine Jesus, but it doesn't. Why? Because as we see, as Jesus kind of goes back to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as he goes back to, to, to understanding how heaven was made, we see that, that Jesus knows that the structure of the present world, even as we know it before the fall in the Garden of Eden, through God's word, that was never actually the end goal. There, there was something better from the very beginning. He, Jesus knows that, that all the brokenness we see in the present world is the result of the fall and ongoing sin, and that's exactly why he came into the world. He said, no, 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 brokenness isn't going to undermine my kingdom because I came into the world to deal with brokenness. Sin isn't going to undermine my kingdom because I came into the world for the express purpose by my life, death, and resurrection to deal with sin. So it's not going to undermine what I've come to do. Jesus understands that his work not only saves his people from their sins, but also establishes his kingdom from which all consequences of the fall will be banished. He knows that, no, the kingdom I'm bringing, I'm bringing out of brokenness. I'm bringing out of sin. I'm bringing out of the fall. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more tears shed. All the sad things will come untrue. Everything will be made right once again. And the present brokenness doesn't undermine that. And Jesus knows as he talks to them, that we can begin living now in full reliance on him and therefore as faithful cities, citizens of this kingdom that he is bringing out of this broken world. We don't have to wait for some future date. So so this gives us freedom to acknowledge the brokenness of this present world and to step into it confidently with the words of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that the gospel of the kingdom is not actually undermined by the brokenness of this world as these people tried to spin it. Jesus and his work are not undermined by this sin, by this brokenness, by this fallen world. They tried to trick him and, and back him into that corner. But he reminded them that's not how it works at all. The third challenge, Mark 12, 28 through 34, is the challenge of an honest question. Sometimes those can be the, the hardest challenges, right? Like when we see challenges like, like the paying taxes to Caesar or there were there was seven brothers and, and it's just this kind of like insane hypothetical sometimes those are kind of easy to answer because you can just be like that's an insane hypothetical but when someone comes with an honest question sometimes those can be more difficult and, and that's what happens in this third challenge it's the challenge of an honest question and in it we see that the kingdom is in accord with god's word perfectly that jesus and his kingdom are in accord with god's word So we see the motivation for this honest question in in verse 28. He heard Jesus that he was answering them well. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? These were kind of his people. He was a scribe. He, he He was part of the Sanhedrin. And they come and challenge him on his authority. They come and, and present this, this you know, faith in politics you know, situation. That This other guy comes and, and, and presents this, this marriage situation. And this guy's listening. He's like, man, they got nothing on this dude. He's answering everything they bring. He's answering it well. And so he wants to ask a question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And, and we know this is an honest question because Jesus gives just a straight-up, honest answer. Not, not on, his other answers weren't diss. Like he wasn't lying, but he actually answers this guy's question. Have you ever noticed that, that? That when someone comes challenging Jesus, he almost never just is like, oh, well, here's the answer. He, like, comes up with a riddle, like, well, tell me this. John the Baptist was he from heaven or from man like he comes he kind of backs them back into a corner and oftentimes doesn't answer the question or if he does it's like we saw last week he does it in some parable that probably they weren't supposed to understand but here this guy asks an honest question and Jesus gives this honest answer that leads into this honest open dialogue about what's happening and Jesus' answer, he goes back to Deuteronomy 6.4 that we read earlier, that, that I said was kind of, I mean, even today if you go into, into a Jewish temple or, or synagogue on the back wall, it's probably going to have Deuteronomy 6.4 written, I guess it should go this way, Deuteronomy 6.4 written in Hebrew. That, like, that's their life verse. Hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so this guy asks this honest question, and Jesus quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. This is it. This is where all of the law comes to. He is one. Love him. And then Jesus adds, and a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul affirms this in the passage we read earlier in Galatians 5. Paul just like, you know, I mean, he contrasted law and gospel with the best of them. But even when he came to to expositing the Christian life, he said, loving your neighbor, that fulfills the whole law. He he says the same thing in Romans. So so this is central, not just for for Judaism and and its different force. This is true today. This is, 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 is central to the Christian life. Loving God and loving man. That's absolutely central to the Christian life. And the scribe knows it. He says, you're you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is none other beside him and that we're to to love him perfectly, and that doing so, listen to this, this is the scribe. doing so is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That, getting that right, loving God perfectly, acknowledging that he is one and loving him is more than all the sacrifices, all the burnt offerings, all of that. I mean, there's a sense where where we, we begin to see the honesty of this guy because the Old Testament says that. Sacrifices and offerings I have not desired, but a broken and contrite heart. I mean, it it says it multiple times that those were never the point. Loving God was, trusting Him alone, that was always the point. All of this other stuff was was the, the ceremony surrounding all of it that pointed to the point, which was Jesus Christ. So this guy continues this honest dialogue. You're right. That is it. No disagreement. He wasn't trying to catch him in anything. Jesus has this honest conversation with them, and they agree. And Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're on the right track. You're starting to get it. And when he says that, the, Mark says, and he end, this ends the challenges. From here on, Jesus is kind of talking to the crowds. This ends the challenges. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. When the scribe shows up and, and affirms, like, oh, no, guys, what this guy says about the Bible is right, everybody is like, okay, we've we got to back up. We've got to... Come at this from a different angle. The challenges aren't working. Jesus and his kingdom are in perfect accord with the Word of God. That's what this teaches us. We're not going to read some part of, uh, of the Bible, and, and if, we, if we read some part of the Bible and we come up with, with you know, like these different kinds of kingdoms that, that are supposed to all be biblical or whatever, no, we're missing something. His kingdom is in perfect accord. Jesus knows that a life conformed to the word of God will be a life lived in service to him and his kingdom. He understands that the point of scripture is to reveal the story of God establishing his kingdom through his Christ according to his covenant promises and he isn't threatened by our questions asked in faith. He's not. And he understands as we see in this passage that it's possible for us to get a lot right but miss the key thing him and he's patient with us that that's where the scribe was he was getting so much right. He was getting more right than, than anybody else that has come challenging him because he understood. It's not about the power of controlling the temple. It, it, it's, it's not about like maintaining our control of stuff. It's, it's not about, you know, how we interact with Caesar. It's, it's not about how we parse out these laws to the seventh, you know, husbander. It's not about any of that. It's about loving God. That's what we were created to do. And from that, loving our neighbor. He gets it. He doesn't, it doesn't seem that, that he was kind of enraptured in all this other stuff, but Jesus still only says to him, You're not far. Why? Because he can get all of that right. But if he doesn't acknowledge that when he says, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that he's talking about Jesus in that oneness. That Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of Israel, that he is the promised Messiah, then he's only not far from the kingdom of God, but not actually in it. Because the kingdom of God is built on the, is in full accord with the whole counsel of God. We don't get to just pick and choose certain parts. And so this reminds us that if we rightly understand the word of God and by the Spirit live in accord with it, this word that is designed to drive us to Jesus at every page, if we we live in accord with that word, we will be living as faithful citizens of an eternal kingdom even now. Even now. So when we step back and we take these three stories together, We see that that Caesar isn't a threat to Jesus and his kingdom. The brokenness of this world doesn't undermine Jesus and his kingdom. And that Jesus and his kingdom are built wholly on the word of God. And so when we put all that together, we, we, we see that a kingdom founded on and by and through the word of God is neither threatened by Caesar, undermined by the brokenness of this world, But being built on the word of God, we are right to live now with confidence of citizens of such a kingdom. That's how we live now. That's what it means to to live presently in Christ, to recognize that we are citizens of this kingdom that isn't threatened, isn't undermined, because it's built squarely on the word of God. And that's the confidence we should have. That's the confidence we should have in, in weeks like this one that w- where we know it's going to be crazy. That, that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, the kingdom of God will not be undone. That's the confidence we, we should have when we, when we read the paper and, and, and we hear that a that, that, that hundred and something people died and in, in, in like, got trampled at, at some Halloween event. And, and we see storms. And we hear of wars. And we hear of tragedy in in our own families. We live with the confidence that the brokenness of this world doesn't undermine the promises of Jesus and his kingdom. And, And we live running back to the word of God where this is taught again and again and where we're driven to Christ on every page. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would use your word preached even this morning to strengthen us. That we would live confidently. Knowing that we are citizens of a kingdom founded on your word. Citizens of a kingdom that is therefore not threatened by anything in this world or undermined by anything in this world. But is sure. Teach us to live with that confidence we ask in Christ's name. Amen.